Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Option Pitch College Football Radio Show. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! The third thing I want you to do, and the last thing, I want you to go tell Southern Cat to bring a damn lunch because it's going to be a long ass day for us. Wednesday night again, that means option pitch time. My name is Rick Riggin. You can get out at the show. It's a variety show tonight, and actually it's really what I want this show to be is more of a variety because I know it's college football themed. It's called the option pitch. Yeah, it's a college football play. Fits college football perfectly, but it's really more of a variety show for fans to call in and talk about anything they want to except for politics because that's dumb. But uh, if you want to call in and talk about anything, uh, 773-897-6327. You can also find the show on Twitter, at Option Pitch, and myself, at Riggin underscore Rick. Download on iTunes, and also, as of this morning, we are now on TuneIn. You can actually download the TuneIn app and uh, listen to the show live that way right now. And also with me is Kenny Galloway, and if you listened to the show last week, then you know Kenny, full of uh, lots of good information, full of information. Kenny, how you doing? Not too bad, Derek. Thanks for having me on again. Oh, definitely, man, anytime. And we got into this just a, a little bit before the show started. You know, I really wanted to do this. You know, the option pitch comes on at 7 o'clock Central Time every Wednesday, but with the World Series going on, I wanted to kind of go on an hour before the World Series, talk a little baseball and just, you know, the variety we're going to get into tonight. But they pushed the first pitch up an hour because the rain threat in Cleveland. So now we actually on at the same time as the World Series, which I can only imagine boost my listener numbers. Hashtag sarcasm. (laughs) But uh, on the show, the World Series talk, college football talk. Yes, we will talk about The Walking Dead. And we are going to talk about the WWE, but, you know, it's World Series time now. We'll just get into that first. Uh, Kenny, is I, I'm a Braves fan. You're a Braves fan. I'm actually really happy to see the Cubs in the World Series, and I would love to see them actually win it in my lifetime. And last night was just such a letdown for the Cubs, a huge disappointment for me, as they just could not get anything going. As soon as Kluber started off, I knew, I mean, first two innings, he was on his game. I knew it was, it was going to be a long night for the Cubs. And if they got into a later inning, Andrew Miller was going to be dominant like he did. He threw a lot of, he threw a lot of pitches, 46, but he still got out of the base loaded jam. And then the closer, Allen, I mean, it was just an off night for the Cubs. Yeah, Kluber was awesome. And I was thinking about this, and they kind of brought it up on, you know, I listened to Mike and Mike and everything in the morning like that. Uh, but they kind of brought it up there, and I'll bring it up here. In your opinion, what do you like seeing more? Like guys like Aroldis Chapman or C- Craig Kimbrell, guys that can just throw straight gas, get up to 100 miles an hour, or in Chapman's case, 105 miles an hour, and just blow hitters away with that. Do you like that? Or watching what Corey Kluber did last night and just totally freezing guys at the play. Had to confuse all night long. Guys are just frozen. You know, painting the corners with that. That slider he's got is wicked. You know, right right-handed guy. It starts over the uh, left-handed. You know, the left the hitter's batter's box on the left side sweeps all the way back over the plate. Guys are ducking out of the way, totally freezing. Guys, Kenny, you like the big power pitchers, or do you guys like 
or is that guys like Kluber that, that are more impressive? I used to love watching the people like Aroldis Chapman and just, just throw straight 95 to 98 or even higher every pitch. Watching Kluber yesterday, I mean, it's just, it was just it was poetic, just the way he was. I mean, he, he was just dominant, and he knew it. And that, that was just, that's fun to watch. Pitchers that know they're dominant, and you just, it, it's just, it's like, a, it's, 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 uh, he was just so dominant. It was unreal. Yeah, and you know, and the Cubs have been in this position before now, you know, getting shut out in the game. They were shut out in games uh, two and three against the Dodgers in the NLCS. Uh, it's not really new territory for the Cubs, but on this level now, it's the high stakes that you can possibly get into in baseball and being shut out in the way that they were. Uh, I would think that might be a little bit calls a calls for panic. I mean, what do you think? If I don't, I don't like saying that because you know a team has to win a game, but to me they have to win tonight. I know they go back to Wrigley, but if they go down two nothing, I mean this Cleveland team has just been, I mean they've been great all season out of nowhere. So I mean it, it'd be tough to come back from two nothing down. As good as the Cubs are, and they can't do it. It'd be, it would just be a tough task. Yeah, I'm with you there. And it, it started out the same way in the L.A. Basically, in LCS, and the Cubs ended up getting the split in L.A. and uh, coming back home. I believe that's how it worked out. But yeah, they need to yeah. uh, just win tonight. You know, this needs to be a split for the Cubs because I, I think the starting rotation for the Indians after Kluber starts going downhill, they got Trevor Bauer tonight. We'll see if his pinky is feeling any better. I mean, yeah, it was yeah. dripping, crying Jordans. You know, last week all over the place. So. Uh, uh, but I think the starting rotation for the Indians kind of starts going downhill after Kluber, bullpen, Andrew Miller. I mean, he's he's a beast. You know, the awesome bullpen for the Indians. So the Cubs need to get some runs on the board early. And it's a weird stat because the Indians score all their runs before, like, what, the fifth or sixth inning? And that's what yeah, they've done yeah. all throughout the playoffs. Uh, Cubs need to jump out early on them here and uh, need to get ahead of them and turn it over to their bullpen because their bullpen is pretty good. So – if Arietta if Arietta can be even as half as good as he was in the second half of last season, they'll be fine tonight. But he, I mean, he's just been so up and down this season. He started off like nine or ten and zero with like an ERA of just two. I think the second half he was had a losing record and ERA is over three now. So if he can just be consistent, I think they have the chance tonight. Yep, consistency and the Cubs with the bats need to get aggressive like they were in Game Four in the NLCS. They put up like ten runs or whatever it was. You know, they, they start getting the bats going, get heated up, it looks pretty good for them to come back to Wrigley, but they have to win tonight. Yes, I agree, 100%. So what's it going to take for the Cubs? I mean, uh, it was they, cool seeing Schwarber back last night, and I I was kind of, you know, Pete Rose was saying he's going to strike out three times, and I was kind of with him there because you out all season long, you haven't, I think he did some rehab assignments in the minors, but that's just nowhere near like going against a guy like Kluber, just seeing any kind of major league pitching. And he comes in, and his second at bat, he was two feet from getting a home run. Uh, he was, very aggressive. He was impressive. For not, for not having any hardly at bats at all this year except for maybe the Arizona League and, and then off a simulator, he couldn't have been more impressive last night. I'm with you there. And, uh, yeah, they got – much need to win. You know, I, I really hate talking about the World Series right now. Now that it's on, I want to do this before it came on and hopefully uh, generate some listens, you know, to the show here, you know, as a kind of us breaking down the World Series. So I don't really want to break it down now that it's on because I think it's goofy. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. but uh, so your pick for game two, who you got? 
I got the Cubs. I think they pulled off tonight. I, I think I think they did. I think they win it going away at the end. Yeah, I, I'm going to pick the Cubs too because you know uh, Trevor Trevor Brewer Bauer. I'm sorry. He only had like what two thirds of an inning his last start before you know yep. it looked like his hand was the way it was bleeding, like it was just looked like it was half hanging off of him. You know, it was pinky anyway. I, I don't know if they that much rest. Only, yeah, he's not pitching. One pitches total in twenty days. Right, and you go off that that far off schedule. I mean, I don't know what kind of effect it has on the you know their professional guys, what the effect is on that. But he's had some time off now, and usually that's a bad thing, you know, especially during the playoffs like this. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, the Cubs need to get the win here because uh, one thing that is scary is uh, Terry Francona said he'll use Corey Kluber in game of the what games five and 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 in game seven. Yeah, because they, I mean, he, they could they could possibly see him two more times, and there's no telling how you know if Andrew Miller he might go he's going in each night if they need to. Yeah, because after Game Five, you know, we get that far, then it's a travel day, and then it's another couple of days where we get to Game Seven. So Kluber would be on three days rest if he goes on Game Five and Game Seven. So the way he pitched last night, that's kind of the worst case scenario for the Cubs. They need to get aggressive. They need to do it right here. Yes, I agree. Very much. As I sip my coffee, <laughs> I don't know if you heard that on the on the radio or on air here or not, but uh, we'll make the smooth transition into college football. And the title of the show is "What a One Loss Ohio State Still Be Alive in Negan's World." It makes no sense, but I thought it was clever and funny. But I'm kind of retarded, so. <laughs> so Ohio State goes this into year. Penn State. Right. Go ahead. This year, it's just unreal. I mean, I, I, I could be after Alabama. I could not predict the other three teams. It, it just way, it's just the way it's going this year. Yeah, Alabama's in its whole separate class. It's almost they look like a, an extension of the NFL again this year. You know, I'm with you. It, it's really unpredictable from, you know, number two on down because I know Michigan's got the number two spot now, but they got some tough games coming up. You know, and. I don't know. I'm not sold on Michigan just yet because I'm not sold on their quarterback, Wilton Spate. I mean, he looks very average to me. They're doing it on, like, really good defense and behind really good running. But, uh, you know, they got a really great tight end, and Jake Butt, you know, that's the NFL guy. Uh, I'm just not sold on Wilton Spate just yet. It's, Michigan can easily lose at least one or two more or two games the rest of this year, in, in my mind. And, 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 and Ohio State can still get there. But I just don't know if they have the ability to actually win the, the, the playoff when they get there, if they get there. Well, they did it two years ago, but that was an early loss against Virginia Tech, and they still got there, and they played three quarterbacks, Braxton Miller, J.T. Barrett, Cardell Jones that year, and they did it with Cardell Jones, a third-string quarterback, and won the national title that way. Uh, is this loss to Penn State, is it still early enough in the season? I think it is. I think – the reason why people look at it bad now is just the way Penn State has been the last few years. It's not been Penn State. So they kind of look at this loss as, well, that's an under, you know, that's an underachieving team that beat a great team. Maybe they're not that great of a team. But Penn State is on the up and up. They're at least coming up to where they should be or where they used to be. They're getting good recruits now. They're not as bad a team as what they used to have been the last two or three years. Yeah, you know, James Franklin, that's, that's a signature win. I mean, that's – I'm sure they had a ton of awesome recruits at that game watching that. 
in that setting, the whiteout against Ohio State, and they win that ball game, that's probably going to win win over a bunch of big-time recruits. That's a signature win needed for that program. That program has been through a lot, you know, this past five, six, seven years, and it's really great to see Penn State back. I mean, I wouldn't say they're, they're back on, you know, as being relevant in college football, but coming back up on the up and up, as, as you just said, it, it's really cool seeing Penn State back like that and uh, getting a win like that. Such a huge program win for James Franklin. Absolutely. I mean, that, could, that could only help in the recruiting process, too. I mean, even, even, if, even if the kid that wasn't there, they watched it on TV or, you know, it's just they might want to get the feeling to go back to Penn State and, and make that become a, a superior college team again. Yeah, and, uh, you know, back to Ohio State here, uh, I actually do think they run the table. I do think they'll definitely be in the playoffs. They'll win the, I think they'll win out and win the Big Ten championship game, get back in the playoffs. But I just don't know uh, how it's going to go against Alabama. Because here's what I see with Ohio State when I watch them. Uh, they still have pretty good defense. But what's different about them this year is there's not really a, a vertical passing game. And their offensive line is having some struggles. And JT Barrett just can't sit in the pocket and, and scan. He, he's leaving the pocket. He's running. He's trying to do what JT Barrett has been doing the past two years. And that's running out of trouble, running to get more yards. But in the past, all that has been fine and dandy because there's always a threat uh, of the deep ball somewhere. And they're not getting many of those plays this year. Uh, teams are not really re- respecting. Defenses are not respecting the, the deep ball for Ohio State this year. So when teams don't respect that, they're putting an extra guy or two up in the box, and they're spying JT Bear. And there's an extra guy to load up the box to stop the run, and they're putting a lot of pressure on the offensive line. And that's what I see this year uh, so far from Ohio State is just a lack of a vertical passing game. That, that, that's so different from the past because – Ohio State used to be good at every single facet of the game on defense, offense, running, you know, passing, receiving, and and you don't see that this year. And, and that could hurt them. But if they have a player to step up and just protect, have that other aspect of the game, and towards the end of the year, they could still be a really tough team out. Yeah, I just think the uh, the loss of Ezekiel Elliott for one thing is, is huge because. You know, last year they put an extra guy up to try to help stop Ezekiel Elliott, and it leaves the guys one-on-one, you know, on the outside. You know, they had a vertical pass game because basically it all ran off of Zeke Elliott. But this year they just don't have that type of running back yet. I wouldn't say it's a rebuilding year for Ohio State, but as far as their offense goes, man, it's it's really lacking that, that passing threat, you know, that we've seen the past couple of years. Yeah. Agree, but yeah, uh, your predictions on Ohio State to finish out the year. I, mean, I think they're going to win out. I think that they're going to uh, probably end up playing against Alabama national championship game. I just don't see Ohio State doing enough against Alabama because I think how you have to beat Alabama is spread them out on the outside and use that vertical passing game that we're saying Ohio State lacks right now. Really spread them out. <laughs> And, and that's when if you can work them up the middle with, with a run. If there's a coach out there that can get a team prepared for the long run, the playoffs is Urban Meyer. If they have enough talent that's, to get over Alabama, that, that's yet to be seen. But I believe they can do it. They have the talent they can. But I just there's there's Alabama, like you said, there's Alabama in this rest of college football. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. It, yeah, I think Ohio State has the athletes to keep up with them and play some defense against Ohio State. But Jalen Hurts is a really good-looking freshman for Alabama. I mean, he he can. They do have a deep passing. Because, but you know, Lane Kiffin is really awesome in Alabama. He's got the offense clicking on all cylinders as way it's been. It doesn't matter who's at quarterback. It seems like uh, they look really good. I, I don't think anybody's going to touch them this year, but. I mean, we'll have to see. I mean, LSU all of a sudden under Ed Orgeron, the Cajun cookie monster, is looking really good now, and that game's coming up soon. So we'll see. Alabama has some that? tests coming up. What's the, yeah? Who would have thought that? <laughs> we'll get, let, get, rid of, get one of the, one of my favorite coaches in college football is Miles, and then they seem like a better team, like an all-around better team after you leave. Yeah, and we've had this conversation on the show here a couple weeks ago. I don't know. It might have been with you, but I don't know. And I had Tom. You know, Tom. Marquez holds the balance on. We talked about some of his coaching and rumor stuff, and Les Miles, he's kind of my guy for Notre Dame. You know, I'm kicking Brian Kelly out. You know, and I'd like to see Les Miles up there, but I don't know. If, uh, he's kind of an SEC guy, and you're not going to get many SEC kids at Notre Dame with those academic standards. But uh, you know, that's neither here nor there. You know, uh, LSU under Ed Orgeron is, is looking really good. Bama's got that game coming up, and I think that's looking a lot closer now to what the experts were thinking a week or two ago. Exactly. And, and the, the last mile, he is, like you said, he's such an SEC type of coach. And I, I'm not sure exactly which team might need a coach in the SEC next year, but I just don't see him going too far outside of that realm. Because he's such, such a tight-knit group with the SEC. And I don't know why – they had the offensive woes, I guess, this year, and I guess last year, too. I, I I don't really understand what it is. Maybe they rely on Leonard Fournette too much, that it just simplifies their offense. But I watched them play a couple years ago in Nashville against Notre Dame, and that was really a scary offense. I mean, it was the same guys. You know, Brandon Harris, a freshman. Leonard Fournette, yeah. a freshman. And uh, they looked dynamic. And I don't know what happened from that bowl game, the Music City Bowl, uh, until now. I mean, it looks very – I don't know what the word I'm looking for. Thing, An average offense, mundane, I guess. I mean, it's it, the one thing I, I noticed. It just seems I don't know what it is, but it seems like LSU's offense has gotten they they become more uh, low key. They don't they don't try for big plays as much anymore. You know, it just their offense is different than what it used to be. Now I'm not sure exactly what that was. If, if you know, if, if Les Miles went away from trying to be a high powered and, and want to be more defensive oriented, but. They just don't have the explosiveness they used to, and they got the players to do it. Yeah, and that's why I was saying maybe it was the uh, Leonard Fournette effect. You know, you rely on a, a great college football player like Leonard Fournette. I mean, he's definitely an NFL NFL guy. I mean, he's going to go top five probably, if not even number one. I don't know if they take running backs number one anymore. but uh, It seems like he's been there for 12 years. He looks like he's 40 years old. Right. <laughs> But I think maybe he Feel just uh, built the offense past two years, simplified it, get Leonard Fournette just more and more involved with everything to kind of carry the load for the team that it, it made the rest of the offense kind of lackluster when they're really not doing yeah. anything to set up Leonard Fournette. They're not hitting the big plays downfield. They're not spreading anybody out. They're just lining straight up in eye formation and pounding the ball up the middle. People have kind of figured out exactly what they're going to try to do from game uh, game to game, and it's kind of uh, made their offense stagnant at times. Yeah, well, Les Miles to me still is one of the top coaches in the country as far as college football goes, and 
he's definitely going to coach somewhere, be a head coach in 2017. It's just the question is where. Uh, also, the big Twitter rumor a couple of days ago is that uh, Tom Herman in Texas has already done deal. They're just waiting till the season ends to make it official, official. But I guess it's already it's already almost set in stone. I mean, I don't really know if I believe that or not, but it's kind of what we were talking about last week. That makes the most sense. Tom Herman to Texas. Uh, I, I can see that happening more than any anybody else going to Texas. I don't see Les Miles going to Texas. One of the things that but, I would love, as much as I love Bush Jones, I would love for Tennessee to get Les Miles just for a change of pace because they have gotten so stagnant with their offense and, and, and their defense actually too. And Les Miles would be a perfect fit there. That's just maybe from a fan standpoint for me. I would love to see him in Tennessee. Do you think that uh, Butch Jones any kind of trouble at Tennessee? I think at the beginning of the season, the way he started off 5-0, his job was safe. But I think two or three of those games were pretty lucky, especially at the end when they came back like that. So now they're like, well, maybe they're back to the same Tennessee that gets disappointed every season. And they're probably starting to look at him a little bit closer now than what it was at the beginning of the season about his job security. Yeah, you know, and the past two years I've been on that Tennessee, I don't want to call it a bandwagon, but just, you know, one of the guys out there on I do with, with Tom on the balance every Saturday morning talking about talking Tennessee up, saying it's Tennessee's year. They're going to hang with Alabama. They're going to be right there challenging. And, uh, man, they fall flat on their face the past two years. But I don't know quite yet if that's enough to say that Butch Jones on the hot seat. There's probably a lot of fans disappointed. But I, I think it's kind of – I think he's built up a, enough, I don't want cachet maybe with Tennessee. You know, they – generated a lot of buzz. They they are a little better than what they have been after Philip Fulmer left. You know, Lane Kiffin came in and that was a, a disaster. Uh they they that are better hard. with Bush Jones, but uh yeah. Uh maybe built up enough cachet to another season or two there. I I'm a I'm a Bush Jones fan. Just and from another standpoint also, I'm like, can you please get a team that used to be like Phil Fulmer back in the day, back in the 90s, where they went 9-10-0 or 10-1 and competed for the national title. I just get spoiled by that. We don't see it for so long. We just want to change every season to try to make the team better. And talking with Kelly, Kenny Galloway, we're doing some college football talk right now. You definitely call in 773-897-6327. Uh, bring up anything. It ain't got to be college football related. Talk anything, it'd be cool. That's what this show is. You know, it's a variety show disguised as a college football show. That's the direction I'm taking it. That ain't confusing enough. I can figure out something else. But, uh, but yeah, I think uh, you know what I like seeing about Bush Jones is the, the passion uh, every Sunday. He's he's a fiery guy, and that's what I like. You know, it's kind of the Brian Kelly. You know, you can tell there's a lot of passion with his team, a lot of passion in his coaching and what he does, and that's what I love seeing about Butch Jones every Saturday. He, I mean, he's got his whole heart into that team. I mean, every single week, you can tell how much he loves his football players and actually loves coaching the Tennessee Volunteers. And that's what I do love about him. I think they got great talent, but they just don't have the talent to step over that threshold to get you like a, a, a bigger echelon type of bowl game yet. Yeah, they do. They, they do have the talent and, you know, four- and five-star recruits anymore, just like Notre Dame gets every year at this point, but there's there's some kind of hump, and I don't know what it is that they can't get over. Uh, Notre Dame has the same problem, too. And I, I don't know if it all falls on the head coach. I, I don't know if it's just other 
coaching staff members or how they're coaching teams, technique. I don't really know what it is just yet because Notre Dame's in the same boat, really. You know, there's just hey, all this talent, all these NFL kids, or I want to say call them kids anymore in college, 20, you know, 19, 20, 21 year olds, but uh, all these NFL guys on the team, and there's just some kind of a hump they, they can't get over. And Tennessee's right there in that same boat with Notre Dame. The one good thing Tennessee has going for them is they are not in the crazy division that you see. They're in the East, and East is so up and down. I mean, they've got the big win over Florida this year and uh, in Georgia, come back winning against Georgia. Tennessee can actually still win the SEC East and get an SEC title bid. You know, and this might be a crazy thought, but Phil Fulmer just had that team built for the SEC, and when he – you know, after him, Lane Kiffin, I don't know if he recruited that way. Fulmer did try to make it his own team, do things his own way, but they just did not seem or look like an SEC team after that. And I think they're heading back in that direction, you know, playing that SEC brand of football uh, that Butch Jones is bringing back to that team. And I think maybe that's the, that's the hump right now. You know, it it, it takes years to – when you tear something down and have to build it back up again, the, the way Butch Jones is doing now, it, it actually takes a, a, a few years to uh, – how, how long has he been at Tennessee? Is it two years, three years? I think about three or four years, I believe. If three or four? Right. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, to fu- fully install a offensive, defensive scheme system, whatever your, your, your trademark is, and if it's going to catch on and work, it takes years to do. Uh, you have to think, you know, the college athlete only gets – football player anyway only get like during school time anyway they have like 20 hours a week that they can actually practice and I don't know if that also counts watching film or anything else football related but that's not a lot of time during the week you know they're going to school and it takes years to actually build you know you know what I mean and the crazy thing is Tennessee I mean yes they're five and two uh, their two losses were Alabama and Texas A&M, which that's no slouch to lose those two teams. I mean, Alabama did run them badly, but they had a chance to win against Texas A&M. They were up in overtime by three, and they had a chance to win. They could be 6-1 and one right now. But right. five and two is not bad in the SEC, and losing those two teams is not nothing to be saying up at all. No, I think Butch Jones is uh, getting the uh... – you know the the SEC brand back into Tennessee. I just don't. I just think after Lane Kiffin, and you know they had some dark years there. You know, I he's finally getting things turned around. He's getting the players he he he's wanting, and those players are sticking around at Tennessee and they're getting experience and learning his system and his brand of football. And I think there's still bigger things to come at at Tennessee. You know, it is kind of bad the way they lost to Alabama, but. You know, the fairy dust ran out, and you even said this, you know, against Texas A&M, you know, fourth quarter's fourth quarter comebacks, you know, that fairy dust finally ran out. That, uh, you could only do it so many times. You could only do that so many times. And they got down yeah, like so, 17, yeah. 20 points almost every game this year, almost every Man, game. They, Virginia Tech had them down. Uh, Florida had them down big. I mean, it's just been comeback after comeback. And they just ran out of – like you said, they ran out of magic. They really did. Yeah, not to be a Tennessee hater, but I, I think they didn't deserve to win against Appalachian State. Week one. No, no, that's they should be. They should have been five. Uh, they should be four and three right now. They really should. That was horrible. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think Tennessee be fine next couple of years. I think Butch Jones is safe. I, I think he is building his brand there. It just takes some time, especially when you have Alabama, 
you know, in the same conference, you know, I mean, you, you always want to compare, you know, college football teams against Alabama. And that's really not fair, you know, especially if you're an SEC team. I mean, because Bama at this point can get any kit anywhere they want. And yeah, I don't know. Bama, Bama should be in the West by themselves and everybody else should just be in the East. I mean, yeah, that's they, that's they, they, for a long time. They, it should be their own conference. <laughs> and it's, what's surprising is Auburn has actually stepped up now. They're becoming an offensive dynamo, too. They scored 56-3 over a ranked team in Arkansas last year. That's the problem. Yeah, I saw too. that. Yeah, I forgot about Auburn this year, and they have been coming on strong the past couple of weeks. <laughs> you just never – those SEC teams, even Kentucky's got a winning record this year. You just never know about them teams. You really don't. So, the uh, other big game this weekend – and this was really like one of the hot topic, hot button games of the year to watch before the season started. But this weekend is Clemson and Florida State. And Clemson's only a two-point favorite. And uh, I don't know if Clemson has seen a defense as athletic as Florida State. Florida State's defense has definitely had a, a ton of problems this year. I mean, just look at that Louisville game. My God, what was it, 63 they gave up? Yeah. But uh, two-point favorites. Clemson's Clemson should have lost two games by now already, too. I mean, they've gotten lucky in a few of those games this year. Definitely. They, it was looking ugly for them the, uh, the first well, first two or three weeks, just barely yeah. ex- escaping, you know, and then they finally turned it on. They're only a two-point favorite. Is this game in Tallahassee? Deshaun Watson to me is not the same. Deshaun Watson is just not the same quarterback he was last year. I'm not sure if, if, if it's uh, – a a personnel change or maybe the two players he doesn't have this year. He just does not seem like the same quarterback that was that was dynamic last season. And this game is in Florida State, in Tallahassee. Clemson's a two-point favorite, and I agree with you. It's uh, Well, Clemson lost a lot last year, too. Uh, Shaq Lawson, you know, that's big-time player. But uh, they also gained the, their star receiver back from last year. He was out the neck. He, I know the star receiver they had last year didn't play against Notre Dame. He's the one in week one that flew into the goalpost and about snapped his neck in half, and he was out for the rest of the year. They have him back. I can't think of his name off the top of my head right now. But uh, you're right. I don't think he's the same quarterback. I mean, he is definitely very much the field general he was last year. But I don't know if they're doing some different things offensively this year. If he's, I don't know what if they're taking him out of his play calling some. I, he just looks like he's forcing things. I mean, he actually still has really good stats, or pretty decent stats at least. It just seems like he's forcing the issue a lot more than he used to. Yeah, I mean, he has some new personnel on offense, too, that, you know, there's some growing pains with there. And it seems like they're getting better and better as the season goes along. I mean, it was a really nice win against Louisville. Uh, if Florida State can play like how we thought they were going to be at the beginning of the year, uh, I, I see this being a 50-50 game. I mean, it basically is Clemson only being a two-point favorite. I mean, the game is in Tallahassee, but uh, I see Clemson winning this game. Uh, I, but, man, looking back those first two or three weeks and how they struggled there, and I can see that happening here because Jimbo Fisher is not going to play around Clemson. I, I, I think I think Clemson wins a close game. I don't think it's going to be it, – it, 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 as much as they do have great offenses, I don't think it's going to be a high-scoring game for some reason. I think maybe like a 23-17 to 17 type of game. Yeah, I'm with you there, too, and I don't see, yeah, really either team put up a ton of points. But, uh, you know, Florida State's had this uh, offensive struggles, too. They put a lot on Dalvin Cook. You know, they had the freshman, uh, Francois, uh, DeAndre Francois, you know, growing pains with the freshman quarterback. You know, you have a 
senior leader in Dalvin Cook, another guy heading off to the NFL. Uh, I think but they, they look they they like a 3,000 yard running back. Right. Uh, but, uh, I mean, because they, they want him to work the workload in that, in that team this year. What's bad for Florida State in this game is Brent Venables is one hell of a defensive coordinator, probably one of the best in all of college football and you know for Clemson. And uh, if they're going to try to feed Dalvin Cook, I think Brent Venables is, is going to eat that up. And as good as Dalvin Cook is, I don't think he can carry the workload, uh, the workload as much as he probably the team needs him to. And it's just, I think that would be too much for them to overcome in this game. All right, so what is your prediction, Clemson, Florida State? Clemson, about 23-17. That's that's good. <laughs> you actually almost stole like my score. I was gonna say twenty four seventeen Clemson, but <laughs> let's go twenty one seventeen Clemson. I'll just we'll just keep it like that. You know, it's a good pick. Like you're in my head or something. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I could be totally wrong. They could explode for thirty points each. You just never know. I'm actually one of these that wants Clemson to lose just because it creates chaos for the selection committee come playoff time because the playoff rankings are coming. I don't know if it's this week or next week. It's really, really close, the first uh, the first playoff rankings. And I, I'm one it's of these that in. just want – I want total chaos. I want everybody to have like a, a loss or two and the committee, you know, losing their minds on what, what to do about it. I mean, because I want eight teams in a college football playoff. I don't like this four-team thing. You know, was there, there's five Power Five conferences right now and only four playoff spots. Yeah. So somebody's getting left out every time. Why not make it eight teams? Yep. You can have all five of your uh, champions in, and then you have three spots for at-large bids, basically. You know, you've you got your group of five teams, like uh, Houston and, you know, teams like that can have their champion. They can get a conference in. You have two more at-large teams. That, that way, you know, guys like us who root for Notre Dame – yeah, well, Notre Dame's its own entity anyway. Oh, looks like we have lost Kenny. Yeah, well, anyway, I'm 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 in support of the 18 playoff. I know a lot of people don't don't support that. They like the the playoff the way it is, but I mean, just think about it. You have five power conferences right now and only four playoff spots, so some conference champion is being left out. Now, what kind of sense does that make? To me, it means none. makes no sense. Uh, but with your eight teams, you get all five of your conference champions in, and then there's five other conferences in college football that are not considered the Power Five. Uh, you can pick your three at-large bids that way. And, you know, there's always a big gripe that Notre Dame's not in the conference, and they should be in a conference. But it, if they still will, you know, Notre Dame wins out, they're going to be in the playoff. So now you're going to have two conference champions the way it's set up right now, not in the uh, college football playoff. Let's see if we try to get Kenny back here. Yeah, Notre Dame's going to steal a spot from a, a, college, a conference champion. So even though I'm a Notre Dame fan, I don't consider that to be all that fair. Sorry, just trying to get Kenny back, back online here. We lost Kenny. Kenny Galloway is gone. But uh, making an 18 playoff, five conference champions, and three at-large bids, uh, 
I don't know what's so hard about that. I know that, you know, the, the students have school and everything. I guess it creates problems that way, but uh, I, it doesn't make much sense to me right now the way it is, you know, four teams and or four playoff spots and five, like, major conferences with champions. Even though the Big 12 doesn't have a championship game, but they still have a conference champion, you know, make it four teams or eight teams. And we do not have Kenny for the rest of the show, it looks like. Call dropped. It can't get back on. That's okay. Ah, sorry. Total, total lack of focus now. So, yes, 18 playoffs, college football, making it happen. And I was going to do this uh, with Kenny. We was going to talk a little WWE, and uh, he's actually a big WWE fan. I, I do watch it casually. Uh, well, one thing that has got me excited, though, past couple weeks is the return of Goldberg. I, I know what well, he's like 50 now. I have no idea. He hasn't wrestled in, in 12 years. Uh, but my question was going to be for Kenny, and I got to just leave the question for his potential listeners right now. Uh, what is the WWE trying to, to accomplish bringing back Goldberg? Uh, it's ratings, I guess. It's money because they're losing money. It, everything I read about the WWE, they're losing money like everywhere you look. The uh, WWE network is a disaster. It's, I'm reading it has lost money ever since it's even been introduced. Every month is a loss. And I have no idea why because it's really an awesome concept. And for 10 bucks a month and you get like every pay-per-view, if you're a huge wrestling fan, why would you not do that? I don't know why it's not a moneymaker, but it, it just isn't. So it, it forces the WWE to do stunts like this and bring back Goldberg, which 10, 15 years ago was, other than Stone Cold, I don't know of a bigger, rest, a bigger name in wrestling at, at the time anyway. You know, The Rock was pretty big. You know, I mean, it's those three guys. But of course, Goldberg was the only undefeated champion in WCW history. Uh, he brings all that to uh, the WWF. You know, he cuts in on The Rock when The Rock is in the ring, and he makes his uh, WWE debut. And has the uh, big thing with Brock Lesnar back in the day. Now, 12 years later, you know, he's back again. One last time, one more time, one last time, and it's going to be against Brock Lesnar. And I was going to ask, talk to Kenny about this because I actually don't know when this match is going to take place. I think it might be Survivor Series. That's next month. I don't know if Goldberg is actually going to wrestle matches between now and then or if he's just going to come back after a 12-year absence, just come out and talk on the microphone for nearly a month and then wrestle. And if he, if they write him to – I know these matches are scripted, but they write him to win. I mean, that's kind of – Cheap, I think, to me. Uh, I think it's a cool idea. I love the fact that Goldberg's back. It has made me watch wrestling now the past two weeks. To, you know, I was a wrestling fan. You know, I, even my when my son was growing up, watch wrestling. We would watch wrestling, but we just have, haven't been really been wrestling fans anymore. But it's been cool to see Goldberg, and I've been watching the past couple weeks just because Goldberg's back. So, if that was the WWE's plan to gain some fans and get some more interest and 
get some of this money back to lose on a WWE network, I'd say probably that they are succeeding because it has turned me back on to watching it now that Goldberg's back. But it's only going to be for one more match. Uh, I guess this match is going to take place at Survivor Series, and I didn't know they were going to have his return now and try to drag us out to WrestleMania because, you know, WrestleMania is the Super Bowl of the WWE. And to me, it just makes a lot of sense to uh, have that match at WrestleMania instead of Survivor Series. But I don't know. Goldberg's back. I guess in a month from now, he's going to wrestle. I don't know if he's going to wrestle any matches between now and then. But uh, if he comes back and beats Brock Lesnar after not being, you know, being out for 12 years and doesn't wrestle anymore. I mean, to me, that's just kind of a cheap ploy. But uh, that's my take on it. I was going to do it. had this whole thing set up with Kenny, but we lost Kenny for the rest of the show, it looks like. So I'm here by myself talking about the WWE, which is his expertise. <laughs> Moving on to The Walking Dead. Another smooth transition. Uh, this past, you know, the season premiere, season seven, I think was the best episode of The Walking Dead that they've had. Uh, I know it was really season one and two really popular. It seemed like every week there was something stunning and shocking that happened and made everybody come back for the next episode. But then since then, after a couple seasons, I mean, they had some great seasons with the governor, but these past two seasons, I think the show grew a little stagnant and I was really on the side of, you know, I think maybe the show should end because it's not going anywhere. The story isn't going anywhere. They're in Alexandria. They're looking for other stuff. You know, of course, characters die, but not characters are dying off that we care about. But uh, yeah, I was on the side that maybe the show sh- should should end because at some point, all the main characters that we have followed and, and watched every week for the past seven years, they're all going to be killed off eventually. I uh, just don't know when. But we did lose two of them, lost Glenn and Abraham. It's really shocking, and I think Daryl should have punched Negan in the face a couple more times and got rid of Eugene and somebody else, you know, because I don't know why Abraham Abraham had to die and not Eugene, but uh, I don't know where they're going to go with the story for that. But it's a whole new world now in The Walking Dead. It was a terrific episode. It does make me interested you know, I've watched every episode and been interested anyway, but I've lost interest because just the way the, the show was, I hate the episodes that are don't advance the story. They kind of just go sideways. Like, you know, when the one with Morgan, when he's in the cabin with the guy, and the guy was teaching him how to always be calm and love everything and love life, basically. And I didn't really need all that. That was two or three episodes of Morgan becoming how Morgan is now. That did nothing for the story. That was just two or three weeks of a sideways story that did nothing for the main story, I thought. That was just them trying to waste time because they don't really have anything to go off of other than a comic book that they're not really following all that much. So I've been on the side that the show should probably end. I I still feel that way. I think I need to end it kind of soon. I mean, I know there's a, a million, millions of Walking Dead fans, but, uh, you know, the zombies aren't even the threat anymore. They haven't been a threat in the past three or four seasons. It's it's people. It's people's the main threat. You know, you don't even, like, worry about watching a show and seeing a walker anymore. 
you know, or even a, a whole bunch of walkers because, you know, if there's a main character involved, they're going to get out of the situation somehow. You know, it, it's become like very a, a predictable show. But the season premiere, though, uh, I actually did have a feeling Abraham's was the one that met Lucille at the end of last season, you know, the last episode of season six. I thought it was Abraham that, that died because, you know, in the course of the comic book, he was already dead before we even got to meet Negan. So he was, as he said on The Talking Dead, he was already on borrowed time anyway. But it was shocking. I know in the comic that Glenn, you know, got beat to death or, or whatever by Negan. But just the way that it played out in the show was really shocking. I do think Daryl should have punched Negan one more time so he could have got rid of, like, Eugene or one of the other cast members that hasn't really been much of a help. But now I'm interested. Uh, this coming Sunday, we're going to meet King Ezekiel and the Tiger, which uh, also, to me, I'm baffled. I think he was a zookeeper. That's how he has a pet tiger, but without knowing have zombie apocalypse, you know, when they need to be finding their own resources and food for themselves and their group, but Tiger too, why would you need that? But I don't know. We'll see. Zombie apocalypse. Dude's got a tiger. It's pretty cool. So I'm interested, you know, see where the season goes. And if it starts going sideways and I'll probably get back on the side of, you know, the show really needs to end because, you know, the sideways stories get pretty old. So, so sorry to end the show on such of a downer. We lost Kenny. I was negative about The Walking Dead. <laughs> I tried to went my way through wrestling, even though I needed Kenny for that. But uh, we lost him. Technical difficulties, I guess. And uh, that would be the show this week. My name is Rick Riggin, and you can catch the option pitch every Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. And that's it for tonight. Thank you for listening.